You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey, it's Motley Fool Money co-host Dylan Lewis here. If you're listening to us, it's because you love following the stock market and learning about business stories. If you're looking to keep learning and unlocking your potential, then you should check out the Think Fast, Talk Smart podcast produced by our friends over at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. Think Fast, Talk Smart is the Webby Award-winning best business podcast that's received nearly 43 million downloads and is the number one career podcast in 95-plus countries, so you know it's worth your time. Each week, host and Stanford lecturer Matt Abraham sits down with experts to discuss the best tips to hone and develop your communication skills, from making small talk that leaves a big impression, to keeping your nerves in check while speaking, to being more persuasive. Whether you're working on your elevator pitch or planning an important meeting, Strong communication skills are important in business and life in general. That's why you'll hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, as well as speechwriter, best-selling author, and friend of the fool Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication, and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. All that and so much more available on the Think Fast Talk Smart podcast. So what are you waiting for? Listen every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment. Hey everyone, I'm Jean Chatsky. Thank you so much for being here, for joining us on Her Money today. We are a few weeks into what has been a very tumultuous 2021 already. I hope the year slows down from this point. But before the new year started, we heard from many, many members of our community that budgeting was going to be a top priority for you this year. Some of you said you were going to be revamping a budget because you had a tough time of it during 2020. Others of you wanted to create a new budget in order to accomplish some financial goals, to buy a home or to prioritize your retirement savings for the first time ever. And some of you were really honest with us and just said, hey, I have never had a real budget before. I want one, but I'm not exactly sure how to go about it. Although we do not want to dwell on the past, 2020 absolutely reminded us that there is so much that we can't control. Many of us lost income. Some of us lost jobs entirely. There were unexpected headwinds coming at us throughout the year. But in these challenges, we think there's a real opportunity to look at our spending and to make some meaningful decisions about our money. Where do we want it to go? Are we making progress toward those bigger goals? Where do we want to be in 12 months? And where do we want to be in 12 years? To help us talk through budgeting, big B budgeting, 
I want you to meet Peter Polson. He is founder and CEO of Tiller Money. And Tiller Money is a program, a, a spreadsheet integration program, which sounds scary, but it's not, that automatically updates Google Sheets and Microsoft Excel with your personal finances every day. So no more manual data entry. I've talked about Tiller before. I have been a subscriber to Tiller for about a year, and every day I get an email. That's how I get the information that basically updates me on what's happening in my accounts that I've linked to the program. Here's how much I've spent. Here's where I've spent it. And it it keeps me accountable. It keeps me honest. And I, I like it so much that I actually built Tiller into the Finance Fix coaching program that we have just launched. And if you are interested in financial coaching, Catherine and I can talk more about this during mailbag. But if you feel like your finances really need a little bit of brushing up this year, then maybe our eight-week coaching program is for you. In the meantime, Peter Polson, welcome to the show. Gene, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. I, I've said on the program before that I, I like this thing where I just get emailed my charges as a very sort of, it feels like a, a low lift way to keep me accountable. Tell me a little bit about you. How did you get into budgeting as a business? Well, when I was a kid, my dad always taught me uh, that I should track my money and we used a paper ledger. And he would always be upset if he saw a quarter or a straight dollar sitting around the house because it probably wasn't accounted for and it wasn't in the right place. And so I think from an early age, that was something I learned. Roll ahead and I grew up, I've spent my career in technology. I married uh, my wonderful wife, we have two boys. With each of those steps, the velocity of our money increased. Certainly getting married, now there's two of us earning and spending, and then with kids. And I really became frustrated that there were not better options to help me, to help our family stay on top of our finances. Why has the state of the art of personal finance not improved? And that journey is really what led me to to create Tiller Money. When you think about a budget, what is a budget to you? I mean, to, I, it's kind of a dirty word to some people. They don't like it. Like they don't like the word diet. It's a great question. A budget is really a guide to help us, you, me, to help us think about where we want to put our money to work. What are our priorities? Remember that the budget is something you build, you create, and you get to change. And there's so many ways to think about a budget. It's really a guide. And so at the end of the month, you can think of it budgeting on a monthly basis works especially well because a lot of our expenses come in uh, each month. And so it's really uh, a chance to be intentional. Where do I want to put my money to work over this next month? And how do I want to end up? Sometimes we've lost some income and we know we're going to be in the red. Other times, We actually, our goal is to end up positive. We want to save. We want to put something towards a goal. But where do I want to end up? And the reality is technology has advanced so well around spending. We can tap, we can click, we can subscribe, and things will just run without us doing anything. It's so easy to spend money. And unless we have a practice that's intentional 
around paying attention and managing, controlling that hard-earned money that you put in your bank. Unless you have a practice, it's going to be really easy for that money to find its way out. And so that's really what a budget is. It's, a, it's an intention around one's money. I like to think about it that way, actually, because I think we are in a place right now where we're trying to be intentional about many other things in our lives, about our exercise, about our eating, about our relationships. Is it just a new year, new you kind of phenomenon? Or, I mean, does your business tend to boom at this point in the year? It does tend to boom. This is a really busy time because the new year is a great time for people to say, okay, what what do I want to make different? What do I want to change about 2021? And, and as you mentioned in the introduction, Gene, 2020 was unexpected and really a challenging year. And it reminded us there are so many things we don't control, but there are some things we can control. There is some wiggle room we have despite what's thrown our way. And as we dive into a new year, it really is. It's a great chance. You can start at any time, but the start of the new year is a really good chance because oftentimes we have our mind is in a place where we're ready to make a fresh start. And we have probably assessed what worked well and what didn't last year and use that energy to your advantage and start now and think about how you're going to feel at the end of this year if you have been thoughtful about your money and made some progress towards those things important to you with your money over the course of this year. I think that's actually a really good suggestion to visualize it because what happens to many people, whether you've got a budgeting resolution or a getting out of debt resolution or a dieting resolution or a marathon resolution is that by February, you're cooked, right? You're just done. You've given it up. And so how do we set ourselves up for success? How do we start in a way that we are more likely to stick with it? Great question. I would say the first thing is we start today. There's no reason to wait for tomorrow. Let's start today. And start today by sizing up where does all your money come and go? And that's likely a few credit cards, maybe a checking account. Focus on those. And the number one goal is to really to start with in any budgeting practice is to first size up where has my money come and gone? And so look back to the beginning of the month. And if you want to use a pen and paper, use a pen and paper. We believe there's a lot of benefits of spreadsheets. So we often think in terms of spreadsheets, use the, the mechanism, the tool that works for you and start each day tracking where is my money going? Where is it coming from and where is it going? And that's a daily practice. And what's interesting about it, it sounds so obvious, but it's actually profoundly important because when I ask most people to think about where their income comes from, most people can accurately give a good answer. When I ask most people, where does your money go? People are pretty hard pressed. It'd be challenging for most people, unless they have that practice, to draw that pie chart with any accuracy. And so the only way we can keep track is by paying attention and by having a practice where, again, use a pen and paper, use a spreadsheet, write down, start writing down. What are all my expenses? Where is everything going? Do that for the entire month and do it every day. It's just a few minutes. It literally, it's just a few minutes, right? Yeah. And at the end, you're going to have a really interesting picture. Wow, I didn't really realize that those things added up to that or that I had forgotten that I was spending money on this and I don't even use that subscription anymore. Gosh, time to cancel. And 
you may also decide you want to spend some more money. Gosh, my health is a priority and I'm not really spending anything on that this month. And I, I want to spend more there. So it's not always about spending less. It's about spending more. But that tracking is really the very first place to start. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's non-negotiable. And yes, you can do it with pencil and paper. You can do it. I mean, when I first tracked the way that I did it, and granted, this was years ago, and I spent a lot more cash than I do now. I spent a lot less online than I do now. But I just got receipts for everything. I had a wallet with a zipper. I shoved them in my wallet. And when I would get to the point where my wallet was like exploding, I would take them all out and I would put it into like a Word doc and I would look at where the money was going. And I was always surprised. And whenever I do a money makeover, and that's sort of what our Finance Fix program is based on, we start with tracking because I've never, I mean, the people's eyes, they have this aha moment when they track. They're like, oh my God, I had no idea. And you're totally right about the subscriptions. You just sign up for subscriptions. You forget you have them. And then it's $5 here and $10 here. And all of a sudden you're spending, I think the average is $240 a month is what Americans spend on subscriptions. So it is a big, big deal. How do you know if the pencil and paper approach is the right approach for you or if the spreadsheet approach is right? Or, you know, we have this private Facebook group for her money. A lot of our people in there, they like YNAB. Some people like Mint. How do you match up a budgeting regimen to your personality? It's a great question. And I think the answer is trying it. And there are some people who love the pen and paper. That's great. There's more work. There's some addition and subtraction you have to do that your, your pencil's not going to do for you. So there is a little bit more work. There are a number of apps out there. Uh, the apps uh, do a lot to make it easy. They also confine you. So you have to do things their way. It's sort of like ad libs. It's you get to fill in the blanks, but most of the sentence is already there for you. Um, and then there's spreadsheets. And it's interesting because I, when I started Tiller Money, I didn't think we were starting a spreadsheet uh, service. I thought we'd be building a mobile app, but it came out of interviews with lots of people. And we found that the people who were most engaged in their finances were using spreadsheets. And so we built Tiller to make their life easier. And the advantage of a spreadsheet is you have, it will do some of the basic math for you. We also at Tiller Money, we have a great foundation template that actually gets you started on budgeting and tracking creating your own categories, you can, uh, you can do it with a blank spreadsheet too, but it also has flexibility. It's never going to confine you because if you are a spreadsheet newbie, great. You can just stick to the basics, use a template like ours. If you grow to want to make some changes, there's no limit to how far you can go with a spreadsheet. And so really there are options. And I think if you're not sure, for many people there, it's, it's an intuitive. It's like, oh yeah, that, that really would make sense and that would work for me and go with your intuition. And if you're not sure, try them and, uh, and see what, what sticks. All right. So tracking is the first step. Right. Once we've got some data under our belts, then we have to use that data in order to get us to the ultimate goal, which is saving more money, right? For me, that is the goal of having a budget. Hey, you guys, it's Jean. I want to tell you about another podcast I think you'll love because I love it. Freakonomics Radio. 
Every week, host and best-selling author Stephen Dubner dives into the hidden side of business and economics and so much more. He interviews CEOs, historians, even Nobel laureates to explore all kinds of topics like whether AI has a sense of humor and whether two CEOs are better than one. If you are curious like me and just looking to better understand the world around you, you will find it on Freakonomics Radio. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, it's Jean. If you want to continue unlocking your potential, then you should also check out Think Fast, Talk Smart, produced by our friends at Stanford Graduate School of Business. Think Fast, Talk Smart is the Webby Award-winning best business podcast that received nearly 50 million downloads. It's the number one career podcast in 95 countries, so you know it's worth your time. Each week, host and Stanford lecturer Matt Abraham sits down with experts to discuss the best tips to hone and develop your communication skills from making small talk that leaves a big impression to keeping your nerves in check while speaking to being more persuasive. Whether you're working on your elevator pitch or planning an important meeting, strong communication skills are critical to business. All that and so much more is available on Think Fast, Talk Smart. Listen every Tuesday wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. I'm chatting with Peter Polson, CEO of Tiller Money, talking about how to get on a budget you can stick with even if you have never budgeted before. So we've got our tracking and maybe we've got it in a spreadsheet. What is this telling us? And then how do we use this information to make changes? That's a really good question, right? That's where the rubber hits the road. So there's one new element I'm going to insert here, which is, and you mentioned it when you thought about saving, what's the goal? Why are we doing this? And that's that's really important because also when we hit February, we want to remember what that goal is. Otherwise, we're going to be distracted by doing other things. And maybe that goal is to save for my emergency fund or save for that vacation we really want to take or college. Maybe it's paying down debt or paying down the house. Writing down that, what's my number one goal that I want to make progress on this year? I love thinking about it on a post-it note. Put that post-it note on your computer or on your bathroom mirror so that it's a reminder. And it's a reminder to go in and engage with my finances every day. So we've been tracking. Over the course of a month, we'll track. And now we're going to see. And if you're using a service like ours, our foundation template's awesome at this. You know, We feed all of our customers transactions from all their banks. We make it easy to categorize. So then at the end of the month, I can quickly see in a graphical, beautiful way, what are the categories I'm spending on? My housing expense. And, and these are categories that I, I've made that make sense for me. Maybe it's housing. Maybe it's food. Uh, maybe it's entertainment. And then also, did I spend more than I made or less than I made? Uh, because any progress towards a goal is going to involve making more than we spend. So we have a little left over towards that goal that's beyond this month. And we can't do that if we're not if we're not tracking, if we're not in our money. And I like to think of it every day because that's how great habits are built. It could be a couple minutes every day. And so so maybe this month, maybe I go through January and I realize, okay, gosh, I'm spending a little more than I'm making, or maybe a lot more, or I'm spending in some categories that, gosh, I think I could trim that down. So this is now where I'm going to set a budget for the next month and I'm going to set some goals. And 
I can't perfectly project what the month's going to look like. So I'm going to go easy on myself when I know that it's not going to end up exactly the way I think, but I'm going to set a budget and I'm going to say, okay, I think I'm going to spend this much on housing. That's probably easy because it's probably the same as last month. And I want to spend this much on food and entertainment and whatever those categories are that you've created. And then as you go through that next month, as you track, you're going to see the numbers start to accumulate in those different categories. And you can sort of see how far I've, I've spent half my entertainment budget and I'm partway through the month. Do I think I'm on track? Maybe I realize I need to adjust that budget a little up and I'm going to, I'm actually still not spending as much as I thought on food. So I, I can make some adjustments. My goal at the end of the month, the whole reason why I'm caring about this tracking and this budgeting is what you just said, which is I want to put money towards a goal. And a savings goal is great. If you're under a lot of debt, maybe pay that off first. So maybe it's a debt pay down goal. And I want to have some money left over at the end of the month that I can put towards that goal. And this is a practice where you, you've got to be gentle on yourself because you're not going to nail it the first time, right? And that first month and the second month, it might be a little ugly. That's okay. You're doing it. I guarantee if you start tracking your money, it's going to change how you spend. Intuitively, you're just going to be so much more plugged into what's coming and what's going, and change is going to happen. You keep repeating that day in and day out, month in and month out. Again, it's a few minutes at a time, and I know it, and I see, I see it with our customers. Your spending starts to change, and you start making progress towards that number one goal that you put that posted up uh, to remind you. One of the things that I've always done, and, and I agree with you, I think when you start to see that you can do it, then you feel like you can do it, and then you can do it better, and you can do more of it. You just, you fill up with confidence that this is not impossible. But one of the things that has helped me is to, as soon as I know I'm saving some money, so whether it's I trim the cable bill and all of a sudden I have an extra 40 bucks, right? I move that out of checking and into savings automatically, or not automatically necessarily, but I do it immediately because I don't want to see it in checking, which is sort of just a sign to my brain and I suspect other people's brains that this is money that's able to be spent. No, that's right. And I think that is, and I will say there's there are some different approaches and you can figure out one that works. That is a really good one. It could be that you create a category that is your savings goal. So, and you uh, honor that savings goal by then saying, okay, here I'm taking money out of my checking account, putting it in my savings account. And that is going in my savings or my vacation category. And now I'm, I'm sort of honoring it because I'm building that up. We actually have a whole template around savings that allows people to get into the nitty gritty of how they think about uh, and how they track their savings. But I think that is a great way to do it. And I think having a, a separate account works really well for a lot of people because you can see the balance of that account grow. And most banks are really happy and make it easy to create multiple accounts. So if you, you could even have five different savings goals and you have five savings accounts, banks, uh, you can probably do that with a few clicks online in your bank account and, and there you go. And of course you can connect all those into whatever service you're using. It's easy to connect all those accounts into Tiller Money. Yeah, credit unions do that too. And, and I, I love that. I like little piles of money that I can watch add up. All right, let's preemptively deal with the problems that we know people are gonna have. Why do people get stuck and how do we unstick them? Okay, great question. For one, uh, we can be really hard on ourselves and we can 
get to the end of a week or end of a month and oh, I've blown it. I've really blown it. I'm done. I don't even want to look at my money again. I'm going to stick my head in the sand. And I think that that's a common one, right? And the reality is, no, you're not blowing it. The fact that you knew that week that you blew it means you're connected and you're in it and you can get back out of it. And so stick with it. And it's that daily habit. It's spending a few minutes a day. Also, be kind to yourself. And one of the one of the things we often recommend to people is to think of it, it can be helpful not to think of it as your money, but maybe it's a friend's money. Pretend you're a passive observer in these finances. And it's like, ooh, spending a little much there. Ooh, nice work. Did You made progress there. Think of it a bit passively. And, uh, and that can be one way to be kinder to yourself. It's also true that we get busy and even for no intention, we just stop the practice because we're busy with other things. And if you find that you've dropped it again for a period of time, as soon as you recognize it, jump back in. And you know, I hope that a lot of people, because it's the start of the year, you can start this today. But if you start this and if by chance you drop off the wagon next month, come back in March and don't feel you have to figure out everything that happened in January and February. You can start in March. So pick it back up and you don't need to be a historian to archive everything in the past. Say, I'm going to start again this week and I'm going to start tracking this week. Because the reason tracking this week matters is because it's impacting and it's helping me to change the directory of what's going on in the future. And spending too much time in the past isn't always that helpful. So those are a couple, a couple tips I'd recommend for when we get stuck. Tell me about your free 30-day challenge. We have, because it's a new year, because we know people are eager to get a fresh start, we have a free 30-day challenge. When you sign up for Tiller Money, we also have a free 30-day trial, so it matches really well with that. And you can opt into our 30-day challenge. We'll send you two emails a week over the course of four weeks with tips and a guide to help you start this whole practice. Start with tracking and building your first budget and setting your goals and to build that practice over the course of your first month. And we've connected it into our community. So, which is, it's been fun to see already this year, we have a ton of activity in the community where we have people at each stage in this 30 day challenge posting, here's my win, here's what this is doing for me, here's, or here's my riddle. And people encouraging each other and supporting each other. So there's a whole community aspect as well that people can optionally connect into. So that's all part of our 30 day challenge. And if that's available to anyone when they sign up right now for a Tiller Money trial. Peter Polson, thank you for the budgeting education. Gene, thank you. Thanks for all your work. I, I, you know, you are helping so many people to get on top of their finances. And it's really an honor to join your show and uh, have a chance to talk with you and share a little about what we're doing with your listeners. But thanks for your work as well. And I, I enjoyed the conversation today. Me too. Happy New Year. Likewise. Happy New Year. And we will be right back with Catherine and your mailbag. And Catherine Tuggle is with me now, but we have to tell everybody where you are because it's just <laughs> too good. <laughs> do we? Oh, okay. I think we do. Catherine uh, is in Paris. Crazily enough, I'm in Paris in the middle of a pandemic. Long story short, my husband is a screenwriter and is working on a movie here. So we got work visas. And we are some of the only Americans in Paris. Every boutique we walk into, every grocery store we walk into, 
everyone is surprised to see Americans or they just start speaking a stream of French and we have to tell them that we don't speak it. And then we get into a whole dialogue about why we're here. And it's been great to have a change of scenery. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're here for we're here for a little while and, and then we'll be back to New York City. Boy. I liked the discussion with Peter Paulson. I just think, you know, I think he's right that whether you do it high tech or whether you do it low tech, every budget has to start with a look of where your money is already going. It just doesn't work otherwise. If you try to set spending goals without doing that, you're almost guaranteed to fail because you don't have the information that you need to make it work. It's so true. I think we hear that from so many people anytime they stumble with retirement or with budgeting or with planning for a family member. It always comes down to the unanswered questions, the pieces of missing information that they didn't have. So I think that alone is why spreadsheets are so important. Just to reiterate, like spreadsheets, people think, oh my God, I can't wrap my brain around Excel. Spreadsheets don't have to be complicated, but you also don't have to use spreadsheets. You just have to figure out a way to keep a logical record of your information. And so, like I said, at the top of the show, we've launched this coaching program called Finance Fix. If you go to hermoney.com and go to our shop, you can sign up for a couple of the classes that we have underway. We're starting small, so there's limited availability right now. But we've got options in that program to do it with a spreadsheet, to track with a spreadsheet, but also to not track with a spreadsheet because it can't be one size fits all. You have to figure out a methodology that works for you. And I also think, and I've heard from a lot of people that I've worked with through the years doing money makeovers, that having some accountability, a coach, and a group of people that you can talk to about the fact that you're going through this process that is different. And sometimes you're learning hard lessons. Having other people along for the ride is really a nice way to go through it. Absolutely. So like I said, we're keeping these first couple of classes small. You need an access code to sign up. So here's the program. You go to hermoney.com, click on the button that says shop. You'll see the icon that says finance fix with a picture of me that I don't really like. We're going to change it, but for now it's there. And then the code that you need is FF, like finance fix, 202101 for the first class of 2021. So FF 202101. And I'm excited to see some of you there. I liked the expression that he used, you have to be in your money. Once you're in your money, you have to know the rules and then you can break the rules. You know what I mean? Like once you're in it, then you almost get to this point where mentally you do some math along the way and understand that if you use a little more of your money for something, you use a little less for something else and you do those adjustments on the fly so that at the end of the month, you don't find yourself in a hole. I love that. It's that's true in so many things in life, right? Like if we're training a new employee for our team, initially we're a little more strict with them and then we kind of loosen the reins and and see what they can do. So it's the same basic principle. Exactly. Or calories, right? Like if it's donut day for breakfast, it's going to be yogurt day for lunch. Why have we never had donut day for breakfast? This is the first time I hearing about it. I have donut day this. all the time. 
Three years in, you tell me about donut day for breakfast? Thanks a lot, Jean. <laughs> I have donut day. I have egg McMuffin day. <laughs> I, I, egg McMuffin is my favorite food from McDonald's, but I went into the city for a doctor's appointment last week, and I know where to find the egg McMuffins along the uh, Sawmill Parkway. And so I, I pulled in and I, I got an egg McMuffin. An egg McMuffin was $4.50. Like, they've just eliminated the dollar menu. I didn't get coffee because I brought my own from home and I was still nursing it. I didn't get hash browns because those are not worth the calories. No, they're not. They are so not worth the calories. But $4.50 for an Egg McMuffin. I thought that was outrageous. It does seem outrageous now that you mention it. It might just be New York, but I enjoyed it. I mean, an Egg McMuffin is always good as long as it's hot. If it's cold, it's not good at all. But I was a little pissed off. Well, I also think that for people our age and older, McDonald's is synonymous with the dollar menu. So that's yes. that's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. Yeah. Four fifty. And I only had one. So there we go. All right. Let's answer some questions. Absolutely. Our first note comes to us from Ronnie. She writes I enjoy your podcast and came to your website looking for some guidance about the best way to think about and give donations this year. Specifically, my family has sustained our income, reduced our spending, and watched our investments grow while we see so much hardship due to the pandemic and growing economic inequality around our country. I would like to take some of the comfort I have during this challenging time and give it in a way that is meaningful and direct to relieve someone else's burdens. Do you have guidance about how to look at my budget with this in mind? For example, I used to eat at moderate to high-priced restaurants and pay for a babysitter one or two times a month. I'd like to take that money and donate it monthly. Second, I know about good community organizations in my city that support homeless services and food banks, but what about more direct ways of giving? Should I try to be matched with a family and reduce their rental or childcare burden each month or help take care of someone's medical debt? Do you have any strategies for how I could do this? I'm sure I'm not the only person who is financially comfortable now and looking for ways to do more. Thank you so much. I love this question. I mean, this is just, this is such a great question. And it's a great question because it makes a couple of important points. The first is that you can give directly, which by the way, is not something that we've ever covered or I've ever talked about before. And so I did some research knowing that this question was coming. And there are a few organizations that will hook you up with people or take your money and make direct donations to families with very little in terms of a middleman. So one is called givedirectly.org. Another is called modestneeds.org. If you give through those organizations and you itemize on your taxes, you can get a tax deduction for making your contribution. There's another organization called the 1K Project, 1kproject.org, that aims to get $1,000 into the hands of families that need it on a regular basis. That one does not enable you to take a tax deduction, so you have to think about a, whether you're going to itemize anyway. If you're not, then it, it kind of doesn't matter anymore. Um, but B, if it's something that you 
that you care about. Um, full disclosure, I, I found these organizations with an assist from Ron Lieber, who writes um, about money for the New York Times. He wrote about this a couple of months back. And so I feel confident in passing these resources along. Um, but the other thing that I think is an important point that comes out of your letter is that when we give to charities at the end of the calendar year, which is what a lot of us do. We make the bulk of our gifts during quote unquote giving season. We make it harder for charities to do their work because they are not able to plan for regular cash flow. And so if you know that you're going to be able to give monthly, signing up and making a commitment to do that is a really nice thing to do for charities that you are trying to help. So I would take the amount of money that you are saving, and you can look back at your spending over the past years before the pandemic and figure out how much was going to restaurants, how much was going to the babysitter. Be conservative as you start, and then figure out which one of these places that you want to hook up with and make a commitment and go from there. But really, really great question. I am proud to have you in our audience. Absolutely. I love this question. And those are some great resources, Jean. Thank you. I did not know about the givedirectly.org specifically. That's cool. Yeah, really, really cool. And kudos to Ron for being early on this. Yeah. Our next note is from Kate. She writes, hi, Jean and Catherine, or should I say hello to my most consistent relationship throughout the pandemic? Listening to your podcast each week and revisiting older episodes throughout the weeks has kept me and my savings sane. Thank you for being a beacon of light in this storm. That's so nice. Thank you, Kate. So nice. My question is regarding saving for retirement versus saving for a house down payment. I live in Los Angeles with its crazy housing market. A modest but decent one-bedroom apartment currently sells between $450,000 to $600,000, and I'm pretty firm on wanting to do a 20% or more down payment. With a 20% down payment, my mortgage on a $500,000 home with HOA payments around $350 should be around $2,000 a month, only a few hundred more than I'm currently paying in rent, which is $1,750. Given that that $250 increase is well within my budget, every time I look at those numbers, I feel like I need to purchase ASAP. I feel like I'm throwing away my rent each month when it could be going toward equity in a home. The flip side here is that I'm woefully behind on retirement savings. I was in the nonprofit world for a number of years and I've now entered the corporate world. While I was scraping by, I'm now able to aggressively save. However, my current employer offers a generous salary and medical benefits, but no retirement plan. For 2020, I did a backdoor Roth for the full amount of $6,000. Here are a few more details. I currently have $30,000 in a solo 401k and $6,000 in a Roth IRA. I have $55,000 in a high yield savings account, which I've earmarked house, question mark, retirement, question mark. I also have a nine-month emergency fund in a high-yield savings account. I'm 42, single, with no kids and no debt, and my credit score is 825. My take-home pay is $7,000 a month, and my expenses are around $4,000 per month, so my savings rate is approximately 42%. My question's for you. I have around $3,000 available to save at the end of each month. Should I put it all towards a house? If I earmark the $55,000 I have saved for a down payment, it would take approximately two additional years of saving that $3,000 each month to give me my 20% down payment. 
Or should I put some of that money toward my house and some toward retirement, even though it would take longer to save the 20% down payment? With this solution, I worry that with the LA housing market consistently rising, the down payment might be a moving target I can't keep up with. I feel very fortunate to be in this position when so many are struggling to pay their rent right now. Having grown up homeless, I understand that stress and the tremendous privilege I have in being able to even consider buying a house in the next few years. I'm just scared of making the wrong decision. Any advice or wisdom you can share is so appreciated. Thank you for all you do. Wow. Kate, first of all, thank you again for the nice words at the top of this letter. I have to say I went through this a couple of times, and I am inclined to say that you shouldn't wait to buy a house. And in part, it's not just the housing market that I'm reacting to because I think with COVID, we don't know short-term what direction housing prices are going to go. And I I do think in certain areas, they're dropping a little bit, and in other areas, they're rising. And it's very local, depending on where in LA you want to be. I'm thinking about interest rates, which I do believe will hold for a year, maybe even a little longer than a year. But then depending on the economic recovery, could very well start to rise again. And as I ran some numbers for you, the difference, if you, with your excellent credit score, for example, were to take a mortgage out for $450,000 right now, and you got into an interest rate of 2.8%, you'd be looking at a monthly payment, and I'm not counting taxes and inflation, you'd be looking at a monthly payment of about 1850. If interest rates popped back up to 4%, you would be looking at a mortgage payment of 2150. So there's a $300 difference there, and the cost of PMI is likely to be a little less than $200. So I would probably buy the house and pay the PMI. And when you get to the point where you have more equity in your home, you can even prepay a little bit to get yourself there faster if that's something that you want to do, then um, then you can get rid of it. I assume that wanting to avoid PMI is your reason for wanting to put down the 20%. If it's not, um, you should write and you should absolutely let us know. But when I I got to the point of your letter where you let us know that you used to be homeless, it really got emotional for me about how much this home means to you. Clearly, you're a great saver. And the money that will no longer be going into your home fund can help you get a faster start on saving for retirement, whether or not they go into an IRA or into a discretionary account. Of course, you want to put as much into an IRA, a 401k, as you can, but it's fine to save outside that account once you've exhausted those possibilities. And the other thing that I want to point out is that a house is a fungible asset. Saving money by paying off a mortgage really is building another cushion of cash that you could use in retirement. I mean, when you get to retirement, you could decide that you want to live there and then you no longer have to pay for a place to live, but you could also decide that you want to sell this place 
and you want to rent something at that point. I don't want you to think of it as not building wealth because it's building wealth. It's just building a different kind of wealth. And so if it was me, I don't think I'd wait. I don't know, Catherine, what do you think? I agree. I don't think I would wait. And I also think reading between the lines of this beautiful letter that there's a lot of history at play here for her. Uh, Having been homeless, I think she may be afraid to take a risk like this, a financial risk. And also, as someone who has worked for a nonprofit with a very low salary, I can say that it takes time to realize and feel fully comfortable in the fact that you're doing okay. You're bringing in more money than you ever have. You're making a good salary. You've got a good, stable job. And you can do this, you know, to shed those fears that we have growing up, that we have in our previous life. That's a hard job. So, you know, I I think don't be afraid to take the risk. You're in a different place. You're in a better place. Go for it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that is a really, really important thing to keep in mind. And your savings rate is off the charts. It's really spectacular. So we've got confidence in you. Absolutely. Our last note is from Allison. She writes, By March of 2021, I should have enough money saved to apply for pre-approval for my first home. I'm also getting married in August of 2021, COVID permitting. While we're keeping the budget relatively moderate, it is a wedding, so there will be some big ticket expenses. I'm wondering if I need to be careful regarding when I incur these expenses relative to when I go in for pre-approval. I'll be putting the expenses on a credit card, but I won't carry a balance. But if, for example, a $10,000 charge hits the same week as I go in for pre-approval, could this impact me in a negative way? Thank you so much for all your help and your great podcast and online community. Um, This is a really smart question, Allison, and congratulations on your upcoming wedding and your upcoming home purchase. Very, very exciting. Yeah, I would be careful about a $10,000 charge hitting you the same week that you go in for pre-approval. And the reason for that is the utilization component of your credit score. So you've probably heard us talk about how utilization, which is the percentage of the outstanding lines of credit that you have that you're actually using represents about a third of your score. And you really want to try to keep that utilization under 30% at all times. And if you spend a big chunk of money and you boost the utilization over that 30%, even if you pay it off, it's been over 30% and that is not going to help you. So I'd look at doing a couple of things. Talk to your vendors if maybe you can spread those charges out over time. I mean, you're getting married in August, and so maybe you could spread those charges out over January, February, and March and do 3000 at a shot and then pay those off. You can also pay your bill mid-month. Um, I'd still try to spread it out uh, a little bit, but maybe you can spread it out over the weeks. So you put 3000 on the card, you pay it off online, you put another three, you pay it off, you pay it. Or you can just not use a credit card. And you need to think about what you're paying for and the risk in doing that. But yeah, not putting that big charge on your card at the exact moment that you go in for pre-approval is a smart move. Love that advice, Jean. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Catherine. Enjoy Paris. Go eat something good for us. Thank you. I will. That's not a challenge around here. (laughs) 
Okay, in today's Thrive, let's take a look at 2021's new rules of job offer negotiation. After a year full of swift changes to our working lives where flexibility was demanded and anxiety was often at the next level, we are all looking forward to brighter days ahead in 2021, no matter what our current office situation looks like. Many of us have resolved to look for a new job that will be more fulfilling, more lucrative, less stressful, or more exciting. But just as the pandemic has shifted many aspects of how various industries function, it's also impacted hiring, onboarding, and comp packages. Now more than ever, employees need to weigh the overall compensation package they're being offered and make sure they have a complete understanding of how office policies may shift once COVID is behind us. For example, will you still be allowed to work remotely, work a flex schedule, have your home internet or gym membership paid for by the company? Have your priorities and your needs shifted after spending this extended period of time working remotely? At HerMoney.com this week, we take a look at how to exercise the fine art of job offer negotiation in the COVID era. First, you got to know and own your value. Ask yourself, what have I done to drive business results in the past? How did I make an impact? What's unique about me that helped me drive those results? How does that experience and success translate to the role I'm applying for now or that's being offered to me? Once you have your answers, back them up with stats and proof to take into your negotiation. And second, get clear about those post-pandemic changes. One of the trickiest parts of negotiating a job in the current landscape is all of those unknowns. Right now, of course, you will be expected to work remotely in many cases, but what happens in a few months? Will you be required to come in every day? Do you want to commute again? Are there benefits or flexibility that you require in the near term that you want to include in your negotiation. Not only will specific answers help you understand the terms of this new job, but it will also make you seem detail-oriented and clear in your communication. Thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Peter Polson for the practical guidance and step-by-step instruction on how we can get on a budget that we can stick to and enjoy for 2021 and many years to come. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review because we love hearing what you think. We want to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. We record this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk soon. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now.